as a program director, when I see all of these applicants having an interest in forensics, I really think it's important that we have an answer for that interest because it benefits everyone, not just the program, not just the school where this takes place, but also the community in which we are a part of. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strink. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. In previous episodes, we've talked about the shortage of forensic pathologists, but is there a role for the pathologist assistant to help fill that gap? My guest today is Lou Mendez-Kramer. Lou is the program director of the Wayne State Pathologist Assistant Program, and she also leads the AAPA Forensic Task Force. Today, we're going to talk about her career so far, including her experience in forensics, and we'll hear her thoughts on the possible role of pathologist assistants in forensic pathology. All right, here's Lou Mendez-Kramer. Now, we're going to talk about pathologist assistants, and we're going to talk about the use of pathologist assistants or potential use of pathologist assistants in forensic pathology. And before we get into any of that, I want to make it very clear what we're going to say is my opinion and your opinion and nobody else's opinion. We don't represent any organization or uh, program with the things that we're going to say today. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So first, let's let's start with you. And I'm curious about how you got started in the field because pathologist assistant is not a very well-known field. So let's start with how you how you how you found out about it. So I was a high school teacher. You know, what feels like a past life. And I kind of got a little bit discouraged after a while. So I decided to go back to school and get a degree in in nutrition. And part of the requirements for the nutrition course were an anatomy course with a lab. And the lab had a cadaver, or I'm sorry, had a, um, a cat cadaver dissection lab. So the instructor, my anatomy instructor, uh, he had connections at the local medical examiner's office. And he always took um, the top two students uh, of the anatomy course to um, to do a shadow, a hands-on shadowing experience at the medical examiner. And that's kind of how I was introduced to the PA field. The, when I went in to do my uh, hands-on shadowing experience through my anatomy course instructor connections, the Wayne State PA students were rotating there. Um, I got to talk to them. They seemed to be very knowledgeable uh, about anatomy and about pathology and be very passionate as students uh, with what they were doing. And that opened up a new field for me. So um, that's how I, I came to know about the profession. Okay, that's interesting. That's I, I guess I haven't heard that kind of I guess origin story before that you said you were a high school teacher. Were you what were you teaching? Was it just like general classes or something specific? I was teaching Spanish and ESL, English as a second language. It, you you became interested in teaching what in high school? I guess when I first came to the United States, teaching languages seemed to be the right thing for me. I, I, I speak several, so it just kind of fell into place with. With the teaching, I, I enjoy teaching. I like teaching high school, and it, it just it's kind of um, fell along with my personality too. So I, teaching Spanish seemed to be, um, you know, I I enjoyed it, and it was 
I don't want to say it was easy for me, but it, you know, it was facilitated by my um, language background from Europe. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's certainly good experience to have considering what you're doing now. Um, right. So the rotation that you did through the nutrition class and at the medical examiner's office, was that Wayne County? Uh, yes. Uh, I did chat with Wayne County. Okay. Okay. Cause I've had, I know, I know they were doing a, a podcast for a while and I actually had one of the, uh, the, forensic pathologist there currently, Dr. Sung, was on yeah. this podcast a, a while back. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he, he's a very nice guy. He's, he's great. Yeah. He's a great instructor. The students absolutely love him. I actually, I got a lot of feedback from that episode of people saying how much how much they, they liked him and how, how nice of a, of a person he is and great teacher. Yeah. You you applied and you got into the, the Wayne State PA program. Yes. All right. Uh, which at, at the time, I know, I know it's a master's program now, but at the time it was a bachelor's program. So can we kind of go through what your experience was like in that program, like getting in and coming from kind of a a, a different sort of background? You know, what, what was it like? Was there an adjustment period to the things that you were learning? Um, you know, it, there was. Um, mostly because I, I guess I would be considered a non-traditional student. I was older than some of my classmates. And I, you know, I had a completely different background, not science-based background. So it took a, a, an adjustment period to get back into the groove of studying and most importantly, just challenging. And the fact that I, you know, I did all of the science prerequisites, obviously, but it was still challenging to all of a sudden have so much content uh, that was so specific to the pathology field that I, I you know, it, it took a bit uh, of an adjustment period for me, uh, not necessarily for, our, you know, other students that had a science background, but uh, for me, it was a little bit. Did you ever feel like overwhelmed or that like, you know, it's kind of second guess yourself, like maybe this was a wrong decision? Uh, I never thought this was the wrong decision. I Did I feel overwhelmed? Absolutely. I think every DA student uh, feels overwhelmed in, uh, you know, in, during the course of the PA program. It's, it's, a, it's mm -hmm. an intense program. Even as a, a bachelor program, it was pretty intense. There's a lot of expectations for us as students. And I, I felt I felt those expectations. I felt the responsibility of my role as a future surgical forensic PA with a patient and patient outcomes. So that, that was very much something that was uh, kind of drilled into us from, from the get go. So it, it was intense, a bit overwhelming just because of the amount of the content, but I never, never doubted my, um, my decision. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, now, when it was a bachelor's program, was uh, was it all four years that was the PA program or was it still just two? No, it was just two. Most okay. of the students that came into this, to the bachelor program, most of them already had uh, a bachelor's, a previous bachelor's degree. I When I went in, I already had my master's. So, you know, and there were several students in my class that um, most of them had a bachelor's degree. So yeah, it was the, just the two years. Okay. I see. Now I, I was going to ask you like how you got interested in forensic pathology, but it sounds like going into the program already, you were, you, you already had an interest in that. Is, is that right? Absolutely. Yes. 
I, once I did my shadowing at the medical examiner, I 100% fell in love with the field and I knew that was what I wanted to pursue. And, uh, when, when I interviewed for Wayne State program, um, I remember telling my program director at the time at the interview, that's what I wanted to do. And he was very cautious about what he said. He said, you know, really there isn't any jobs. <laughs> uh, in forensics. And I, I told him, I, you know, it's okay. I'm okay being the first one. <laughs> so that was my, my drive started from the get go. Okay. Okay. That that's interesting. That's, that's good to know where, where that came from. Now I know you worked for a, a little while as a medical investigator. Uh, yes. can, can you tell me about that? How, how did you, how'd you get that role? So when I completed the uh, PA program at Wayne state, I uh, was initially hired as a surgical PA on a contingent basis. Um, uh, I'm based in Michigan, so I really couldn't move out of state. And at the time when I graduated, there weren't as many um, full-time positions as a surgical PA. So I took a contingent job. And at about the same time, the uh, Washtenaw Medical Examiner's Office here in Michigan um, hired, was hiring for uh, a medical medical examiner investigator. And um, I contacted the, the office and from my conversations with them, the, what was very appealing to them was the, my medical background as a PA. So the position was actually a medical examiner investigator and autopsy PA. So essentially, um, I you know acted as, a, uh, I performed as a medical examiner investigator. I would go to the death scenes bring in the decedent to the medical examiner's office and then performed and assisted in the autopsy of that same decedent. So it was kind of a full circle where you go to the scene, you bring in and you have the findings from the autopsy and, you, you know, you facilitate that. So it was, um, it was great. I, I, I really enjoyed um, my work as a medical examiner investigator. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like that's kind of exactly the role you were, you were aiming for when, when you started. In a way, yeah. I mean, I I felt that as a PA, my medical background, my knowledge of the pathology and, you know, of the, the symptoms and what, you know, what leads to a pathology and potential um, uh, cause of death really, you know, helped go through uh, the case at the scene and make the determination, is this a is this a forensic case? Do we need to bring the case in? Can I release the case? Is there anything suspicious? So you start making a differential of uh, of the cause of death immediately at the scene. And once you bring in, that differential keeps growing. It, you know, you, you start crossing off, um, you know, what you had in your uh, in your mind as a list of differentials for the cause of death and based on what you're finding. But it was really, um, really helpful at the scene itself when you are, you know, investigating the, the scene, when you are interviewing the uh, the family members, trying to get medical history, reading through medical reports, um, looking at, you know, any medications that were at the scene and just putting two and two together while at the scene and then once bringing the body in doing an external exam doing the um the evisceration and the and the block dissection from those findings it really brought everything full circle mm -hmm. okay yeah that makes sense it sounds like kind of the same 
uh, logical method that you would use doing an autopsy or even, you know, grossing a surgical specimen, that same kind of logical procedure. It sounds like from what you're describing, that's what the same kind of thing you would use at a scene. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a surgical PA, when you have access to the patient's medical uh, records and you can, you know, you have that HMP from when the patient first came into the ER or, you know, you have the, uh, you know, the, the doctor's notes from the mm-hmm. different departments and you start making that differential right away. And then you start grossing the specimen and you, you, you start making decisions on what to submit histologically based on that you know, find on the findings as you grow. So it's very similar. It's just you, you have a, a different setting and the setting is where the decedent died in the, you know, as a medical mm-hmm. investigator, you just have to go to the scene and how the scene and impact. So you have different areas of, of potential impact to the decedent, which might not, you know, relate as much to the surgical setting, but in terms of um, making the differential, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then how was it that you left that job and you go back to Wayne state to, to start teaching? Well, when, uh, right before I graduated, uh, my um, program director at the time, Dr. Frady, he, uh, he knew I had um, a master's in teaching and he asked me if I would be interested in teaching uh, one course as an adjunct faculty member. So um, I did. I started teaching the anatomy course, which, you know, it, it really helped with the autopsies. It really helped put, you know, everything together, both as a forensic PA and also um, correlate with the students at the time that I had what I was uh, seeing as a forensic PA with the anatomy of the cadavers that we were grossing or that we were dissecting and, and the specimens we were grossing in the anatomy. So that's um, kind of how I started was just I started teaching one class and then one class became two and then two became three. Uh, so my my teaching responsibilities uh, grew and, you know, being passionate, passionate about two fields <laughs> really you know, the teaching and the PA fields kind of put it all together for me. And it was, uh, was, and it has been very rewarding. Yeah. See, I love that when you've got two different fields and you combine them together and create something almost, almost brand new and you can combine two interests. I, I like that kind of stuff. That's, that's great. Now, if, so then in 2016, you became the program director at, at Wayne state. So how did that happen? So my, um, the program director at the time, so uh, by 2016, I was already a full-time faculty for the program. So I was just working contingent as a medical examiner investigators uh, in autopsy PA. And uh, in 2016, our, uh, the program director was promoted to um, the dean of the health sciences. And um, he asked me if I was interested in the program director position. And since I had the experience, a few years of experience uh, of teaching and was also a PA, it seemed like, you know, a good transition from the current, the, at the time, the current program director to me where it would flow smoothly. And, uh, and that's kind of how it happened. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like a perfect utilization of, of all of your skills at the time. Yeah. Okay. So it's been 
what, six years, I guess, that you've been the program director. I'm curious, what have been some of kind of your proudest moments throughout the time, maybe some changes you've made to, or improvements you've made to the program uh, during your time as a director? Um, you know, I think one of, one of the highlights of, of my role as the, as the program director was to transition the program from a bachelor's um, to a master's um, degree. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a lot of work, um, but it really, it was one of the highlights. I mean, we, we did make, um, I did make quite a few changes curriculum wise. Um, and, uh, you know, now we, we can see a lot of those changes being recognized by um, employers, by um, organizations of, of the things we have done in our programs. So that, that really has been a highlight. But in terms of I think one of the proudest moments for me was at the, the name conference, I think it was 2019, when Dr. Webb, which was a forensic pathologist at uh, Wayne County, presented about forensic uh, PAs in the medical examiner setting and how he said he couldn't, uh, he couldn't imagine now practicing without a PA, without a forensic PA. And then he just pulls uh, a picture of uh, on a slide for a room of maybe like 250 people of our PAs, of, of my PAs. And that was, I, I felt like I was a proud mama. I was so proud of those uh, three PAs to be recognized for, you know, for being pioneers in this field. And, uh, and the fact that, you know, I had a tiny little bit to do with that. So that was very um it was super rewarding. Yeah, it seems like the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office has been kind of, at, you know, at the forefront of using PAs, probably as far as I know, before anyone else has. Yes, they they have been recognized for, for pioneering the, the forensic PA role. I think PAs were previously being utilized uh, in forensics, but not to the extent that they are utilized now. And it was uh, very much a hush-hush <laughs> secret of having a PA in forensics right. um, because there was that not not a positive or negative connotation to it. It was just like something that was not uh, used before or utilized before. Uh, in the setting. So no one really wanted to admit to it. But even before the Wayne State PA started at Wayne County um, Medical Examiner's Office, you know, there were PAs working, having dual roles in their institution, whether that was they were, you know, part of the day they were working as a surgical PA and then they would do the um, uh, autopsies. You know, many of the hospitals have the contracts, the county contracts. So they'll do the county uh, forensic medical legal autopsies at the hospital. So PAs could at times be pulled for those. So there was, they were being utilized, but not recognized as forensic PAs. And I think the difference here is that recognition that we are not just surgical PAs, but we are also forensic PAs. We should be recognized as such. And that's what Wayne County really highlighted is that we exist, we can do this and, um, and they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they seem to be very successful. I want to get into a a lot more about the the forensic PA, but one more thing about uh, teaching before we move on to that, 
I'm curious how, especially through the, the pandemic, I know before we started recording, we were talking about using Zoom and things like that. How mm-hmm. have teaching methods changed uh, throughout the time that you've been at Wayne State? I think one of the things we've, the pandemic almost forced us to was utilizing Zoom to either pre-record uh, lectures, but what at Wayne State, what we do and what we found to be helpful based on student feedback is we not only record the lectures, but we also record some of our laboratories where students, um, where the instructor grosses an entire specimen on video and the student can review that as many times as they need. And then they come into the lectures and they come into the lab to uh, do mostly reviews. So um, in the educational setting, this type of um, methodology, uh, pedagogical methodology is called the flipped classroom, which is, ha- has been used successfully um, mm-hmm. in you know high schools and so on. So we did a very similar concept in our program where we did the flipped classroom method, where we provide the materials for the students uh, pre-recorded, but then they'll come in to um, to the labs and to the lectures and address questions. They'll have problem-based scenarios, case scenarios, where we are applying what they were responsible to to learn and, and address those questions in real time. So that was one of the things the pandemic really did for us. Just just a change in from the traditional education methodology of you know, you have the instructor that talks for you know, two or three hours and, and delivers, you know, being the expert of the content to now having a more collaborative application of the content in the classroom with the students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard about the flipped classroom method before, and it, it seems like it's very effective and it's being more and more used uh, in, in a lot of different places now. Yeah, we, we, we've been very successful. You know, not obviously not all courses could be uh, recorded, uh, pre-recorded. I mean, I, you know, we we don't have permission to record a full autopsy, for example. But for the grossing of specimens, 100%, it's been f- uh, feedback from the students really shows that they really like to have those videos to go back to it, to listen and re-listen the lecture multiple times. And, and then they like the, the case scenarios in the laboratory as well. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I can, I can understand that. All right. So getting back to forensics then, so the American Association of Pathologist Assistants has a forensics task force and in, you're the lead of that task force. So let's talk about how you got that position. Cause it seems like it was almost tailor made for you with, with the experience that you have. So this started probably, I think maybe 2018 when we were, I was starting to get uh, a lot of applicants with an interest in forensics. For whatever reason that was, it just seemed like from that moment on, there's a lot of uh, prospective applicants contacting me about forensics. And then I was getting quite a bit of phone calls also with medical examiners wanting to know a little bit more about PAs. So I... I've always felt that we have a role and that that was even before I was a program director. When I applied to the PA program, I felt that PAs have a a role in forensics. They should be a part of of the forensic, of the medical examiner team at autopsy. So I've, I've been 
always felt very strongly about that and I've always pushed for that, whether in the development of the PA curriculum at Wayne State, but also pushed, you know, the, that same development in the clinical setting where we, you know, we have very strong clinical requirements for the forensics. So that was, it seemed to me that by, you know, having a strong foundation in forensics, there would be a role for us in forensics. So I brought it up to the, um, uh, all of the program directors, the um, PA program directors at our annual AAPA meeting. And it, you know, not everyone was uh, uh, necessarily on board with it. And, you know, a couple of those of us that were, we brought it up to the AAPA leadership at the time and they seemed interested and they've been incredibly supportive since then. Yeah, for sure. And, and of course, you know, everyone's aware that there's such a shortage of forensic pathologists. So it seems to make sense that PAs could potentially help fill that gap. So that might've been a really good time to, to bring that up and to start working on that. Yeah, and I think a lot of our role with the AAPA task force really has been to educate not just the medical examiner community, but also the PA community in what we can do. So, you know, like you said, there's a a tremendous um, workforce shortage in board certified forensic pathologists, and um, that's not going to go away anytime soon. There really hasn't been an an easy fix, uh, a fix that can you know, you'll result anytime soon. So in the meantime, PA's role can increase in that arena. And that has been uh, pretty much what I've uh, brought forward to the AAPA leadership. And, um, and again, they've been, you know, they supported the, you know, the foundation of the, the forensic task force. They are very, very supportive by sending us to these meetings to educate the community. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Lou Mendez-Kramer. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Now back to Lou Mendez Kramer on the People of Pathology podcast. Well, let's talk about the the meetings then that you that you just mentioned. Uh, I know you take the the AAPA exhibit booth, and w- so which which meetings uh, have have you been to? So we've been to the um, IACME and NAME. So um, both okay. so the International Association of Medical Examining Coroners and uh, National Association of uh, Medical Examiners. So those two are the main uh, organizations that certify uh, medical examiner offices. So we, through the AAPA, we um, have a booth and we just attend the meetings with the booth and we uh, talk to medical examiner, um, medical examiners, administrators of the offices, residents, fellows, um, essentially anyone that is involved in that attends these um, meetings that wants some education in the field, we, uh, we address them. Okay. Do you get a lot of uh, traffic at the booth at, the, at those meetings? 
I'm more so now than initially. So when we first started, the the idea that the medical examiner, that forensics as a field was quote unquote in trouble, wasn't really as publicly, you know, a, a public uh, concern at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knew about it, but no one was really talking, being outspoken about it. So um, at first, we didn't see much traffic. And I got to say, what changed this was Dr. Webb's presentation about the utilizations of PAs in the medical examiner at Wayne County. And that was at the name meeting in uh, 2019. Once that presentation happened, we just saw tremendous change in attitude, a tremendous change in the traffic to the booth. Doctors coming into us, wanting more information, telling us about their struggles in hiring board-certified uh, forensic pathologists and how their workload was increasing and there was nothing that they could do to change that and they needed help. So uh, once that happened, We've seen a lot of traffic, a lot of interest, a lot of education. It's a lot about educating uh, uh, these individuals because they, a lot of them have not heard about us as a profession. Right. And they, those that know about us, they know about PAs in the surgical setting. They don't know that, hey, we, we are educated. We can do this too in forensics. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. It seems like that, that presentation in 2019 kind of really got the ball rolling. Was there anybody that was like, absolutely not. This is, this should never happen. And, you know, have some kind of, not an argument, but maybe a heated discussion with them. Every time, okay. <laughs> so every time we go to these meetings, there's always, um, there's always someone that and it's more negative. I, I don't know if negative is necessarily the word, but that is very doubtful of the introduction of PAs into the field, whether they feel that PAs are not, don't have the necessary skills to perform, whether they feel an infringement on their, you know, on their field by someone else. I think ultimately, it, I, I go back to the education, ultimately they don't know about us. They don't know what we can do. And that's why they tend to be a little more negative. But yeah, pretty much in every meeting, uh, we have uh, what I call a naysayer, where no, 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 PAs shouldn't be here. But let me tell you why I think they should. And it's been, um, you know, it hasn't been terribly negative. Um, a lot of it mm-hmm. is, uh, gives us the opportunity to uh, for a discussion. You know, sometimes it can be a little bit heated, but it hasn't been um, too bad. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. I mean, in some in some ways, it's probably good because to, to hear maybe the concerns that they have, and then you can go, okay, these are valid concerns, and we need to figure out a way to address them. So it probably helps. Oh, absolutely. And and this is where when we go to these meetings as the AAPA booth representatives, we have to really have a, a very thorough understanding of the struggles that they are experiencing. And so that we can address, we can back up some of our comments. You know, if they're, you know, you're short staffed, let me tell you how we as mid-level providers can facilitate some of your workload. And we give them specific examples. And, you know, we talk about 
a lot of our educational background uh, during the program, our exposure in clinical rotations and what we can do and what, um, and the fact that, you know, those of us that attend the, these meetings with the booth, we are all PAs, we are all forensic PAs. So we can bring in, this is what I do uh, in my um, mm. In my job. So they, um, the fact that we are practicing forensic PAs, they tend, they tend to listen to us a little bit more. Yeah. Now, at the, uh, the last uh, name meeting, so this was last fall, 2021, you actually presented a poster which was called A Partnership to Consider How Pathologist Assistant Training Can Be Utilized to Decrease the Forensic Pathologist Workload. Now, first, mm-hmm. I, I, if can you can you give kind of a, a summary of what like what was presented with this poster, and then I want to talk about like how it was received. In the poster, I highlighted why the forensic pathologist workload is so high, and it's not just because of COVID. The, across the country, there's been um, an opioid epidemic in the last you know several years that yeah. has. Imp- their workload. And I made the correlation between an increasing workload and a decreasing workforce. You know, I brought in data uh, in which I showcased how many pathologists, how many medical students were going into pathology as a field. And then from those, how many were going into follow the specialty of forensic pathologists. And then based on that information, we still see how we are not meeting the needs across the country uh, for the number of forensic pathologists that are needed. So the the last study that was done, and that was, I'm not mistaken, in 2013, uh, you know, indicated that we needed at the time about 1,100 to 1,400 uh, board-certified forensic pathologists. So that was a long time ago. And we haven't been able to meet that a number. So when you're not able to anywhere meet that number and then you don't have and you have a workforce that, you know, there's attrition because of the workload, uh, you know, with increasing workloads, people don't want to work that much. They might want to retire. They might want to go part time. The, the field is in trouble. So I made that correlation with those numbers, with that data. And then I highlighted how there was a potential partnership that they could consider to ameliorate their workload. And I introduced then the, the PAs. I introduced what a PA, uh, what the educational background is and uh, clinical exposure. And I introduced what we can do in the forensic setting. I talked about how we can start by, you know, doing forensic photography, how we can do the external exam, the evisceration, the block dissection, the toxicology, the uh, tissue submission, the ancillary studies, the in preliminary uh, reporting of the autopsy. So I highlighted all of those areas where we could um, facilitate. And in addition, I also talked about, hey, in addition to anything related with the autopsy, we can also provide support if your office is receives residents and medical students, we can teach. We can teach them. We mm-hmm. can uh, facilitate with accreditations. There's um, uh, management in the laboratory that we can also 
roles uh, in laboratory management that we can also take take over. So uh, it was a lot of this is what we can do. All of these areas where we can benefit you, you're you're kind of in trouble if you're not feeling it. You will be <laughs> based on the, the data. So why not consider us? Okay, that's, that sounds like a lot of information. So then, how how was it received? What kind of uh, feedback did you get from the people there? I had, you know, it was very good feedback. I did have a couple of uh, back to the naysayers. I did have a few that believe that oh, it's not it's not that bad in terms of the workforce. There isn't, you know, there's doctors. And um, I think those individuals that come in saying, oh, there's plenty of doctors, so it's not as bad. I think they're coming from uh, an office that potentially has all of the doctors that they need. And they acknowledge that they are seeing an increase in the workload. But because they have so many doctors, they're not seeing the, the workload be as impactful as other offices that don't have the workforce to, you know, to handle the increasing uh, workload. Uh, so, but overall, it was very well received. Uh, we, we got a lot of uh, feedback in terms of what type of information they wanted from us. You know, they wanted to know a little bit more about specifics onto forensic skills that PAs can bring in. They wanted more information about uh, salaries. That was a big one. How much can a PA make in my state? So we got the traffic we got afterwards. My my poster presentation at the booth really highlighted that they were listening. They acknowledged that you know the data speaks for itself, and um, that there is some of them are in trouble now. Some of them have been, have experienced increasing workloads with decreasing workforce for quite some time, and they are ready to take on the challenge if. We can call having a forensic PA a challenge in the in the field, but they are willing to take on the challenge of showing their peers that I'm I'm all for PAs. So that was one of the things. I think that was probably the first time I saw as a, as a whole in the meeting uh, the medical community be okay. There's PAs. I want to know more about it because yes, I think I think they are the solution for our problem at this point. Do you happen to know if, you know, are there people from other countries at these meetings? Because I know the, the forensic pathologist shortage is not just uh, particular to the U.S. It's kind of worldwide. We have not seen international uh, presence in these two particular meetings. Usually the AAFS is where we're going to see, where we, where we see more of an international uh, mm -hmm. presence uh, and you're correct. I mean, this is nothing new. I, I went, I presented at the AAFS, I think it was maybe 2018. And they were talking, I remember Brazil uh, really being in, in trouble at the time with the workforce and uh, a couple of South American, other South American countries uh, that indicated as much. I feel that, and that was, you know, when the AAPA um, asked me about attending the AAFS, I said, I think we need to prove ourselves here first, uh, and then we can branch out. But you are very much correct. I think this this is a worldwide concern. Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the last thing I wanted to, to talk about, and you mentioned a couple of these things already, so in addition to the the 
typical training that a pathologist assistant gets. I feel like there needs to be extra training or sometimes maybe an extra certification, something more that would for a forensic PA. And like, how do you, how do you feel about that? Do you think PA programs need to adjust or does it need to be a separate extra thing for those that want to get into forensics? I think it needs to be both. I think we need to, as uh, an educational community, all of the programs, we need to be investing a little bit more in, in forensics, whether that is in forensic pathology and or autopsy uh, techniques for our students. We need to make sure that there are entry level competencies being met that, you know, more specific to forensics as an educational community. But I think, and I agree that we need to have additional training, whether that comes from added on rotations or um, maybe a fellowship. So the the task force, the AAPA task force has been talking about, should we consider a fellowship for those PAs that want to pursue a forensic, uh, more of a forensic role? Um, you know, as you know, forensics is not for everyone, right? It, it's right. not appeal for everyone. So I think by having a separate exposure, you know, a a fellowship of sorts, maybe even looking at it as a a, a specialized residency um, for a a few months or a year, however we want to plan accordingly, I think that will be incredibly beneficial to the prospective forensic PA. But just as beneficial to those offices, medical examiner offices that are considering PAs, and they are maybe a bit unsure based on the level of exposure the PA has had in in forensics. This this is nothing new uh, in the in the health field. The physician's assistant has something very similar. You know, educationally, uh, we are we're we're similar in our foundation, um, in our methodology uh, as physician's assistant, how we teach. You know, we have the one-year didactic. We have the second year as clinical exposure. We have to meet entry-level competencies. We have our certification. But physician's assistant, those that want to specialize in a particular area, there are fellowships available for them. So we've been um, considering that. It's not something that is, uh, you know, we're still debating. And the debate mainly is in the fact that if we are telling our uh, graduates, anyone that you know is graduating from a program, hey, we have a fellowship. As you probably know, most fellows in any specialty, they get paid to do their fellowship. Oh, yeah. So. Um, there is no funding, and I've looked into this uh, with NIH and so on, there's no funding available for PAs or for any other healthcare practitioner to practice in forensics. There are grants that a medical examiner office can apply for for fellows, um, for medical uh, doctors. So telling a PA, hey, you can do a fellowship, which you know, I, I've started that 
this year because there's such a need. I started that by saying, okay, you can do an additional um, rotation, but uh, in forensics, but there is no funding for that rotation. And there's nothing additional added to your certification in the sense that we're not adding an additional letter to your name. We are not adding a, another certification. There's not a test that you have uh, to take to say you are now certified or, or additionally certified in forensics specialty. So those things are not in place yet. That doesn't mean that uh, they're not going to be. I think it's just a matter of time for this to happen, honestly. And I'm, I'm making my way there. Uh, so I, I hope to have, you know, to, to have enough or have sufficient uh, information going, you know, within the next couple of years that I can make such proposals, whether to the AAPA, whether to name in which they can, you know, fund fellowship positions for PAs. But I need the data first. And the data essentially is how many PAs are willing to take on jobs as forensic PAs uh, and how many job uh, postings are have been uh, for forensic PAs and, and how are the sal salaries compare, comparing themselves to a surgical pay. So all of, all of this, there's a lot of nuances involved in making such a proposal. So the data is, is really critical to support creating a, an additional training of fellowship program and potentially an additional certification. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, all of this stuff is very early on in the process. So it's only been a couple of years since we've even been talking about it. That's interesting though, like you said that, you know, potentially collaborating with name on, a, a, you know, the training or additional certification that I think that's a really good opportunity there. And I think name is somewhat open to this partnership. They're, they're, they're planning to, to change their standards uh, this year. Uh, it's going to be put out to the uh, membership, name membership, to change standards. And some of those standards will apply to us. Um, and once they make those, those standards, hopefully to our benefit, those changes, they, their plan is to put out a position paper about PAs practicing in forensics. So um, having their support will, I, I really think, will facilitate this additional training, facilitate this potential additional certification, the opening of uh, more job postings for PAs and more comparable salaries uh, to the to the surgical PA. Although those, I got to say, have really been the jobs that have came out recently have really showed that they're willing to pay to, you know, to have a forensic PA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good. That's uh, that's, that's a good sign for the future. I think, is there anything that I, that I haven't asked you that you wanted to mention before we wrapped up? No, I, I really think that as a program director, when I see all of these applicants, having an interest in forensics, I really think it's important that we have an answer for that interest because it benefits everyone, not just the program, not just the school where this takes place, but also the community in which we are a part of, whether it's here in Michigan for me or California or 
uh, Georgia, whatever that is, it's going to benefit the community. So we this this interest is increasing and we need to, we should address it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been great getting to know you a little bit more, uh, you know, learning some more about the Wayne State PA program and about the potential of PAs in forensics. So Lou Mendez Kramer, thank you very much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Great big thanks to Lou Mendez Kramer. Here's a preview from another episode that I think you'll enjoy. And then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. You know, one one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you uh, and, you know, kind of get go through the biobanking thing and, and the PA program aspect is it it seems like to me that when it comes to the tissue procurement for biobanking, that if anybody is qualified specifically for that, it would be a pathologist assistant. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I think about this like on a, like 20 times a day because I just see such a role for PAs to be the person that is coordinating all of this. I mean, I know like that that sounds really ambitious because believe me, I see the gross room and I see the amount of specimens there. And for a PA, all you're thinking about is, oh, I have all this stuff to gross. You know, like I don't have time to coordinate research studies. I don't have time to consent patients. I don't have, you know. But if we build that out to be a part of the expected job duties and we train PAs to kind of, you know, of this to be expected, I, I think you almost departments could just could have more PAs because they're they're really being almost like clinical research coordinators at the same time. You can hear more from pathologist assistant Alexandra Giardina in episode 70. OK, so this might be a bit of a controversial topic, but I think there are definitely some interesting things to think about coming out of this discussion. Of course, I am a pathologist assistant, so obviously I've got a vested interest in this, but I do think it's a viable option. The use of PAs in forensics is not a cure-all, and it's not something that could happen quickly. I mean, we mentioned several things during this conversation that would need to happen as far as extra training, possibly a fellowship, possibly an additional certification. So there's still a lot that needs to be worked out. And if you disagree with what we said today, I'd like to hear from you. Find me on social media or send me an email, and I'd like to hear why you oppose this idea. Again, the opinions on this episode today were my opinion and Lou's opinion only. And these opinions are not necessarily endorsed by the AAPA or any other organization for that matter. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything that we talked about today. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others, and together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.